Today is the last session, as I said at the outset, of the Standing Strong series. And we have been on a journey looking at different aspects of how we can stand up, hold our ground, and maintain a faith-filled, God-focused mindset in the midst of the blur of activity and the seemingly foggy seasons of life when the path ahead isn't really that clear or even the path behind becomes obliterated in our understanding because we can become overwhelmed at any moment in our lives due to just too much information to process or too much emotion to handle. Now, some of you use computers, right? And how many of you actually have ever had your computer lock up on you? It's happened, right? One of the, f- the funniest thing I ever saw was Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, one of the re- richest people in the world, if not the singular richest man now. And he was launching a new thing of Windows and it's a big, huge publicity event. And he's got screens bigger than this, of course, all of this huge auditorium and presentation. And he launches it, the big ta-da, and the little hourglass came up on the screen and Windows wouldn't launch. It was locked up. Needless to say, sad to say, somebody probably lost their job over that. But when our computers, and if we understand how they work, they have a certain amount of memory, they have a certain amount of processing power. When they get more than they can handle, they do this thing, they just lock up. They put the hourglass and it gets stuck, and sometimes they just freeze. Don't you love that when they freeze and then you have to reboot them and start over again? I believe in our lives there are times when mentally, emotionally, and physically, we get past our seeming ability to handle things, at least in the way that which we're looking at them. And it would be nice if we just had a reboot switch, wouldn't it? And it cleans out all the memory, sets everything back exactly like all that other stuff didn't happen. But the reality is what we're going to talk about here today is one of those reset switches for us spiritually and emotionally. And I think it has physical effects, as you'll see in the studies I'm going to share, on learning how to be a more thankful person. The implication of this is pretty widespread because the scriptures give us all kinds of great encouragement. We'll look at a couple of those in a minute, to be thankful in all circumstances. But if we're really, really honest, that's not real easy, is it? There's another emotion when things don't go our way, when things don't go as we hoped or expected or planned or prayed or you know, had every reason to uh, believe that God was going to come through in a certain way when things don't go the way we planned or we expected or just simply we wanted them. There's another emotion that usually precedes thankfulness, isn't there? Or several of them. There might just be a little anger that creeps in. It might be a little bit of why. I was going to pound a table, but I'd knock your coffees over. Why? Why? Why is this happening? The question, our minds are on overload saying, God, this isn't what I expected. And the antidote ultimately to that process emotionally and spiritually and mentally is learning how to do what the scripture tells us in First Thessalonians. Three simple verses. If you've never memorized any scripture, this is a great one. You can take three verses in one crack. It's really easy, really short. And I encourage you, each and every one, to commit this one to memory. Because in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says to us, rejoice always. Again, that counterintuitive, when no matter what's going on, find in yourself, with God's help and guidance, the ability to rejoice about something. I'm going to clarify what I think this means for us. 
And then pray continually, or pray without ceasing, the King James puts it. And verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. And then he wraps it all up with the simple phrase, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's a lot. And just three little verses that are easy to memorize, three directives, and he tags it together with the line, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A lot of people ask me and probably ask you that, about what's God's will in this situation or trying to figure out what God wants. What's God up to? This simple little trilogy of verses answers that question quite well. God's will is that we as his followers would have an intentional mindset and plan in place to respond to every circumstance in life. Rejoice always. Now, if some tragedy occurs in your life personally, when tragedy hits you or someone close to you or someone in your circles, this is not suggesting to us that we just go, isn't that great? I'm so glad to hear what, what terrible thing happened to you. That would get you in a straitjacket and wrapped up someplace, or at least maybe worse. That's not what he's saying. And he's not also saying very clearly, give thanks in everything for every little thing that's happened to you. We've already established in the weeks we've shared together, there are evil things that happen in this world. There are evil people in this world. There are evil forces working against us. And we have to recognize and delineate what are we supposed to rejoice about? How are we going to pray continually? And what are we supposed to give thanks for? When someone is brutally murdered, do we say, thank you, God, that that happened? No. We say, thank you, God, for giving the grace, the comfort, and the encouragement to the family that's now lost someone. Thank you, God, for every day that you granted to that person being alive. Thank you, God, that you provided the way of salvation. We don't thank God for evil things. We thank God that he is good in the midst even of evil circumstances. I'm answering a big theological question up front here today because I know our minds and our hearts want to say to this verse, yes, but how can we rejoice in all circumstances? Well, let me just say this. This takes some reprogramming. Remember the computer analogy I was using uh, a while ago? And how many of you ever programmed a computer? I mean, actually programmed. Any of you guys specifically? So all a computer does is what somebody wrote a program and allows it to do. We think they have a mind of their own. And if you see the science fiction movies, the computer's taking over the world. Or we just saw War Games, that movie with Matthew Broderick, where the computer takes over all the military of equipment. And we think we're starting World War III. All a computer does is do what it's programmed to do. If it's got bad programming, it's not going to work. So we have to recognize that whether we see it or not, we are running scripts inside of our brains. We are running emotional and mental scripts all the time that we have rehearsed, heard, or learned, and many of those are happening at a level that we're not consciously aware of. So we, all of us have a response mechanism to life circumstances that's happening deep down inside of us, and we may not always vocalize it, but it's happening. So, And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this one, but when something bad happens, do expletives ever come to mind or out of your mouth? Of course not. Of course not. You've cured all that. Where does that come from? Programming. There's something inside of you that the fuse is so short or whatever, and it's a 
conditioned response. So what the scripture tells us to do is to reprogram that with a different conditioned response. And you know what? We can do this. We all can do it. The word of God is powerful. If we adapt and adopt our way of thinking and responding to life circumstances in line with what God's will is for us, then we're going to respond with rejoicing and thankfulness on a more consistent basis. This is not going to change overnight. Okay? If we, and I'll just say it this way, I grew up in a very interesting household. I was blessed with my parents, my grandparents, my dear Grandma Duffy, who I haven't mentioned her yet, have I, in the six weeks. I've got a whole cadre of Dick Grandma Duffy stories. A wonderful, sweet Irish woman who never lost the brogue. She was here for about 110 years and never lost the brogue. But now she only lived to be 89. Wonderful. But she was always sick. From the earliest recollection, she was always, and she, they had train cases. They called them a little box about this big, a train case. How many of you have heard of a train case? Okay. I'm not sure they called it a train case. Maybe you could fit under the seat in a train or was there some reason for it? And in there were probably 47 different prescriptions. I mean, it was like a regular pharmacy because every time she, you know, had something, she went to the doctor and the dear doctor wrote her a prescription. And, and okay, and then she kept this inventory of stuff. But poor Grandma Duffy was always had a mindset of sickness. And, you know, that's just how she was. Now, was she, she lived to be 89 years old, okay? I mean, and I, I met her, you know, of course, I was whatever age when she was probably in her, what age would she have been? Probably in her 40s or 50s when I first knew her. But she was always sick. Almost every time I saw her, she had the bathrobe on, and she was kind of in that mindset. And a wonderful woman. But she, and that has a way of influencing those around you. I grew up with parents, one of whom is one of my father, who by God's grace is still with us, one of the most optimistic, positive, can-do people you'll ever meet. And it's had a great influence on me. I'm so blessed. And his, he lived through World War II and all, you know, crash, plane crashes in the war, plane crashes after the war. He's lived through a lot. And his, one of his things, this too shall pass. I mean, he's gone through all kinds of things. And my mother's side, being with my Irish grandmother, was more on the negative side of things. Just influential. Wonderful woman, all that. But it was always the worst case scenario. It wasn't this attitude that things are going to work out. It was things are not going to work out. So you have this, this, this dissonance going on. I don't know what kind of household you grew up in or what kind of household you live in, but the roots of this kind of programming start very early. When we are raised in an attitude of expectancy, faith, and I'll just say it, not, this isn't just about positive thinking. This is biblical responsiveness, God's responding to our life circumstances. Those roots go very deep and they're hard to change, but they can be resolved. So God says to us, rejoice all the time. I just want to pause for a second. I want you to take a moment and share around your table at least one thing you are rejoicing in today. It can be as simple as a grandchild having done this or that or a child of yours or a friend of yours. Just take a moment and I want you to take this into your conversation. What's something that you can rejoice about today? Just take a couple minutes around your table. I'll sit with Jack here since no one's sitting with him. I'll rejoice with Jack over here. Sharing things that we're happy about makes us feel better. And I'm going to give some statistics about rejoicing and thankfulness here in a minute. Sharing things and allowing them to fill our thoughts and our emotions with good things changes how we see things. And God intended for us to live in that atmosphere, not one of negativity, not one of fear, 
not one of anxiety, but one of rejoicing and giving thanks in all circumstances. Paul says in Philippians 4, again, a different letter, but rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Why does he have to repeat this? Because we're not real good at it, okay? And if we're honest, we'll realize that there's negative roots in there that need to be pulled out, that need to be rooted out. And Paul goes on to say, let your gentleness be evident to all. But then he says, do not be anxious about anything. That's a real simple one, right? But I want you to use kind of a, kind of you use a, I try to say in the computer morph, but you, there's utilities that you can run on your computers, antivirus, okay, anti-spam, and anti-this and anti-this, and you run this little program, and it kind of finds all this stuff and cleans it up for the moment, and then you're clean, or at least you feel like you are. We need like an anti-spam filter on our own thoughts about us and our lives is to recognize the junk mail, if you will, that we are just allowing to cram in and crowd out the joy of the Lord. It's there. The Holy Spirit lives within us. He has taken up residence in our being. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit individually and collectively. So the wealth of opportunity and the wellspring of God's love and joy and peace resides not someplace out there, not in our circumstances. It resides within us because he's there. But when this other stuff, the spam, if you will, or the viruses of this life crowded out, they need to be cleaned up and give room for God to well up within you with that. Giving thanks is that connection to the Holy Spirit. You know that? When we express thankfulness to God, <clears throat> we, our faith is now active. And when you have windows, on your, and if, I'm, if anybody not have a computer, I'm using all these computer analogies, a couple of you. Computers can run multiple programs at the same time. That was a novel concept years ago, but now you can have different windows open. You ever, ever have so many windows open, you forget where they all are. You're like, where is that other thing? And then you have to start all over again. We have to recognize and realize that giving thanks to God gets us back centered on him and our faith becomes the program that's running then and it will influence how you see everything this in my view needs to become our a daily routine at the earliest point in the day possible you're going to find if you turn on a tv radio look on your email or go to your news source on the internet you're going to find plenty of reasons and plenty of negative perspectives you might even get one calling your best friend or someone close to you if they're caught up in that other program that's running and they have the ability to possibly drag you down or into that and get you commiserating with them in that negativity. We have the opportunity to start every day in a different way. And whenever we catch ourselves going there, say, wait a minute, give thanks in all circumstances. God, what can I be talking to you, praying continually to you about? If we'll do this, and I'll teach you a method here in a little bit how we can change that. Um, and Paul goes on in Ephesians to say, be filled with the Spirit. As we recognize where we've been and the need to change some of those things, it's not too late. There's a whole lot of life we've been missing if we've been running those other programs of negativity and fear and anxiety, allowing them to occupy our central processing unit, which is our brain and our spirit, our, our whole being. This can change today. If you purpose to say, I... I <laughs> I want to just do that. How do I do that? Well, here's some suggestions. Here's a quote by Melody Beatty who says, Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. 
It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos into order, confusion into clarity. It turns problems into gifts, failures into success, the unexpected into perfect timing, and mistakes into important events. Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. That's a mouthful. But I wanted you to have that in print to kind of reread that a few times because the power of giving thanks is tremendous. Again, it's really faith being expressed about our lives and where we're at with them. And there's a study that's been done, and I'm going to share a number of these things. I gave you a printout on this. Some noted doctors and psychologists have done some studies about the power of gratitude. There's just a list of just a few things that we'll be benefited by. Obviously, we're more optimistic if we're a grateful person. We will have more energy, be more enthusiastic, more determined, more interested and joyful. That's just a nice list. Would you like to have your life be a little bit more like that? But then it goes on to a much more important list of things. Grateful people will have fewer illnesses. I'm just going to pause for a second on that one. Would any of you vote for having fewer illnesses? Now, where do, yeah, how do I sign up? Well, we're all trying to be well, right? We're doing things, hopefully, either through our lifestyles, through our diets, through exercise, through medical care, and whatever else we have is to have fewer illnesses. Science has shown to us that those that are grateful people will have fewer of them. Why? Well, again, that central the processing and overloading our being with too much other stuff wears even on us physically. And those studies have been long since proven. Those who are grateful get more sleep. You guys get enough sleep? I hope so. I barely do, but I just, just barely get enough. So a lot of people shaking their head no. When we are grateful, we're walking in that kind of a mindset, we have a more restful, peaceful sleep, both spiritually speaking and science has proven that. Grateful people exercise more. Anybody need to get exercising more? I'm one of those. I need to get back into that. And are more likely to help other people. These are all very key things. And I know I'm scrolling through slides you're not seeing. There we go. Um, grateful people have less cluttered environments. Nobody has any cluttered environment at all, right? No clutter whatsoever that anyone else can see in your homes, right? <laughs> it's, it's, they can't see it. Um, are less envious, have more clear thinking, have better resilience during tough times, and experience less stress. There again, who would vote for less stress? I'll, I'll sign up every day for that because stress is pressing around us. A few other things that grateful people experience in a greater measure than others, that they're more organized, and this is a big one, have a higher immune response. That goes back to less illness. But the immune system in our bodies has a certain amount of resources available, right? Right? When the body is under stress, some of those resources are being used to combat the effects of that stress, and therefore those immune system responders are not able to do some other things and have a higher tax on them. So those who learn how to be more grateful have a higher immune response, have closer family ties, are less materialistic, make more progress toward their goals, and have a longer life. Well, speaking to this group, most of you must be really grateful people. You can think that through in the last comment there. <laughs> Long life is one of the blessings of Scripture, but more important than length is the quality and the depth and the experience of life that God gives to us. I want to say something about this. I don't think there's, in God's economy, even a single wasted moment 
Not a breath that we draw is without purpose in God's economy. All of your days are numbered in God's book. There's not just, well, there's going to be a few you know, days, weeks, months, or years. of just boredom. That's not God's plan. Just kind of passing time until the end or passing time until we get to heaven. That's not God's view of life. We get kind of stuck in those modes. We kind of get, we face major changes, and particularly we face major changes that disrupt a pattern or flow of life and it's a loss of a spouse or loss of a loved one or, or change financially, and we, everything changes for us. And we seem to go into those seasons which are very challenging for us. But God's desire is that we'd have life and have it abundantly every single day. Today is a special day on God's calendar. We last week celebrated Valentine's Day, and we have pictures to show for it. I don't know if anybody uh, saw those online or they were made available. There are pictures of all of you wonderful people, different angles on different things, We celebrate certain days and make them special. God circles every day on the calendar. And you're in it with him, and it's special. Today's a special day. And so will be tomorrow and every day that God grants to us. We have to look hard sometimes, find those special things. Gratitude and talking to God about what we're grateful for brings us into that special understanding. Now, I want to pause for a second because it might seem as, well, wait a minute. Is all we're going to be walking around is giving thanks and completely denying all the terrible things that are happening? Are we, are we going to walk in ignorance of the crisis happening in whatever part of the world it happens to be happening? Are we? No, of course not. But when we walk in an attitude of gratitude and we are continually talking to God, God tells us how much of those outside concerns we should try to carry. I'll say this, I say this many different ways. With the modern technology and the advance in communication that we have, we can be bombarded with way more information than we were ever intended to handle. Do you realize that? We were never meant to. Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest for your souls. Now think about it. In the first century, he said that. I mean, let's be realistic. How much stress could they have had? Well, of course, they had the occupying armies of Rome. They had different things going on. They had different things. But we are bombarded. And somehow, and it can even be as simple as as you're in a semi-half-asleep watching something on television at night as you're relaxing and an appeal comes on to help these people do this and an appeal comes on to give money to that and you start feeling guilty. I should be doing something about that. Jesus would say, no, 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 no. Come unto me. When you're burdened down trying to carry more than I ever expected you, and he says, take my yoke upon you. Only handle what I'm asking you to handle is what Jesus is saying. We who are responsible, caring people, who want to make a difference in the world as Christ followers, Jesus is the one taking care of the whole world. All he's asking us to take care of is our world, our sphere of influence. Some people have wider spheres of influence based on their connections and their, their roles and their careers and those sorts of things. But we are meant by him to only handle so much. We don't have to feel guilty or ashamed letting go of things that we really can't do anything about. If you like to control things, and nobody in this room today would be considered a control-oriented person, Right? I, that's, that was sort of a joke, but that's okay. We all like to control things, or we think we want to, and we have to give way to the one who is in control. Let him be God. Let him be Lord. Let go of the things that you cannot possibly control. 
and handle only. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you because he said, my burden is easy and this yoke is light. It fits you perfectly. And I want to just pause for a second and let that sink in a little bit. When we look about why aren't we giving thanks, why aren't we able to do this regularly, because we're on overload trying to carry way more than God would ever expect us to carry. There are times that we just can't drop something. We're caring for someone in late stages of life. We're the only one there. We don't have the resource to hire caregivers or, or to come in, and so we're carrying that load for a season. God knows how to meter out the things he's asking us to handle. And to each person, the scripture says, each person needs to carry their own burden. If today you feel way overloaded, then I encourage you to take some serious time today is to make an inventory. What am I doing? What am I, what am I carrying? Am I carrying too much? And with some counsel, either pastoral counsel or some a counselor, try to reorganize that to what would God really be asking you to carry? None of you or I are the savior of this world. I know that's a big blow to some of you. It's kind of like, he's the savior. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's just asking us to carry our load. Some of us might actually be tempted or yield to the notion that, well, our kids, they're they're not doing it the way I would have. I've got to step in and help them too much. Or even your grandkids who are responsible, by the way, as they grow for their lives. And we might try to carry two or three generations worth of problems on our shoulders, or at least mentally, through our anxiety, our worry over what's going on, and it's not, and it just wanting to live their lives for them. You ever had someone try to live their, your life for you? You like that? You enjoy that? You can't. You're setting a prescription for frustration when you try to live someone else's life for them because you think you would be doing it differently than them. Your burden, the burden Jesus asked you to carry, is light. It fits, and you'll be able to carry it well every single day. So learning to give thanks for one important thing is, God, thank you that you choose just exactly the right amount of responsibility for me, and Lord, then help me to let go of the things that I really shouldn't be trying to carry. We can give thanks to God to do that. Some of, for some of us, that's going to take an inventory. It's going to take it right down on a sheet of paper. I'm doing all these things. I'm, what are we worrying about the most? And that could be a long list in itself. Look at all of that and get a sense of where we're sitting and then come back to God and say, thank you, God, that you're not asking me to do all of this. You're asking me to do these things. Now, going forward here, there's something I call... Well, first of all, any questions? I, I should pause for a second. I get rolling through these things. Any questions about what I've just shared? Or any comments or observations any of you would like to share? I think, I go back to how these roots are formed in us and how these mindsets are formed. I call it the OOPS principle. It's a simple little acronym. Um, I think as we live life, we make observations about a lot of things. If we're going to be able to un do and reprogram and reorient our whole mindset from one of negativity and ungratefulness to one of thankfulness and by positivity i mean faith-based a faith in god that he's really involved and active and doing all the things and keeping his promises we're going to look at what's going on i think we make observations about everything whether it's accurate or not we accept our observations about things as true right 
that's kind of like normal, right? That the way we see things, well, the proverb says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Kind of, that's how we think, isn't it? Oh, some others might come close, but we've got really the clearest vision. And, and I've just been going through a process of trying to get contact lenses. And um, you notice I still am not wearing them. I still have these glasses on because I've tried different um, contacts. And it's been wonderful. The, the doctors I've been working with were the one I used to have, uh, was insistent on doing it a certain way that just simply didn't work. Well, what's the matter, she said to me. So, I can't see through them, okay? The idea here is so that I can see. Not so I can look through this thing in the doc- in your office and see those things on the wall really clearly, that when I put these in my eyes and I'm driving, that I can see. I mean, I'm being a little sarcastic here, but I couldn't see. And so I'm, again, in the process of doing that. Isn't it nice that, you know, when somebody's adjusting and you're seeing on a wall chart and you can see, oh, yes, I want to be able to see that way. And then when you get the new prescription, which I did recently, you're, you can be like you're in a fishbowl for a while. You're like, whoa, I had that experience because I got a new pair of glasses a while back and it was like, wow, I can see this stuff on the wall, but I feel like I'm in this, this fog. We see things the way we do because we have gone through a complex process of evaluation, basing what we know of Scripture, what we know of life, what we've always been taught, and then we form basically an attitude. We're going to get to that in a minute. But we first form an opinion, from our, sometimes from our faulty um, perspectives, but an opinion. Do you like being around opinionated people? You're around 150 of them right here. We all are opinionated. Some are very vocal about what their opinions are. Some will try to s- superimpose their opinions of things on you. And I always love that, don't you? Some, no. People need to be feel, free to express their opinion. But an opinion, what if the opinion someone has about something is really, really different than yours? And if you begin to try and engage them in a conversation, they're going to take it as a challenge to prove that their opinion is better than your opinion. And you could both be completely wrong. You realize that, right? This is all subjective. But we start out with making observations. You're making observations about people all the time. I'll just take that as an example. First impressions often are the most lasting, aren't they? It takes a long time for somebody that we've already formed a first impression about to undo that in our thinking. Really hard. The first time you met somebody, they had a faux pas or got into a political discussion or whatever else it was. You've begun this process, made some observations. You've got an opinion about them, which usually opinions don't change very easily. But we get emotionally attached to our own opinions. We get charged. And, and then that when someone challenges our opinion, we have a hard time changing it because we get pride enters in and we start defending ourselves. Why am I bringing this in in this context is because the roots of how we see things are not always obvious to us, the whys and wherefores. We're an intelligent, literate group of people who read a ton of things, and out of a book, you might read a book of 500 pages, and there might be one or two things. You go, yeah, I'm going to adopt that now into my worldview. I'm going to adopt that into the way I see things. And you add that to your knowledge base, and then that helps you, once again, make your observations and form your opinions. We're continuing to learn. But when those opinions aren't accurate, then we can take what I call a soul posture or a posture, where it's more than just a passing, well, I think about this and I think this way, it's no big deal. But it begins to, our opinions, accurate or not about things, can begin to shape us. Not the word of God now. I'm talking about our limited view and sometimes warped view of something begins to shape us. And 
we, what I call, take a soul posture. We decide and we become convinced and will not change about an attitude about someone or some circumstance or life event, and we won't be dissuaded. You may have gone through, as I've said at the outset, a tragedy or a situation in your life that you, deep down, never really unpacked and processed, but you formed a a mindset about that. You either buried it and just said, I can't deal with it anymore, or tried to deal with it and then formed a coping mechanism that said, I'll just kind of see it this way because that helps me get past this place that I'm stuck. Well, we go through life like that all the time, and there's all these minds in the field. There are these lumps in the carpet. There is these situations that we have not fully processed something, come to a biblical, scriptural, spiritual understanding and resolution to it, and we just kind of leave it there and go on. Okay, That just kind of, kind of builds up over time in us. And that creates this situation where we take a, a mindset or a posture where we become resistant to change. Because to change would mean going back, looking at all that stuff and undoing them. And that's difficult work. That's hard to do. But what we have before us is if we cannot live with the attitude of gratitude and rejoicing in God, it's probably because there's some of those buried things that that we're still mad at God about, that we're mad at somebody about. Sad to say, sometimes we're still upset about something that's now dis- someone that's now deceased and long gone that we can never reconcile, but it's still out there. We, don't, we have not rightfully processed it. And so we find it hard to be grateful because there's this emotional drain continually pulling uh, us down on the batteries of life that God gives to us. So we've got to find a way to do this. And gratitude and learning to give thanks in all circumstances begins to cure that. And here's a way I'd like to suggest, and I'll get to the fourth step here in a second, that we do that, is to be willing, even in the most difficult life circumstances that we've just sort of processed and packed away in that closet or in the attic or in the basement of our lives, emotionally or spiritually, is to be at least willing to take another look. Is there a way that we can at least say thank you to God about some aspect of that situation? Is to go back, not to unpack all of it, and relive it. I don't believe in that kind of process with God. I believe he heals, he forgives, he helps us move on. But is there any way that we can go back into those most tragic events in our lives and take another look and instead of coming out of it saying, God, I can never really trust you because of this and we're withholding gratitude and thanksgiving to God because of it, because we're now bitter and say, God, okay, I see now. I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand why they did this to me. I don't understand why it turned out that way. But I know now I can give you thanks because you knew what you were doing. That begins the process of breaking up those places in us that are holding us back. That even when we start to apply a new principle of being thankful and we set out to a new ritual of how we're going to do that or a new spiritual practice, it'll help us get away from that bitter root that's in there. If we don't, aren't willing to do that <clears throat> and unpack some of that stuff beyond a soul posture, I believe what happens is we get these strongholds that form in us. Biblically, the scriptures talk about strongholds of what really they are. The enemy tries to get us, but there's a series or a chain of thoughts and our emotional and spiritual responses to them that when networked together, create a wall in us that imprisons us. A stronghold mentally or spiritually or emotionally is one that ultimately imprisons us. Oh, we build it to protect us. We put those walls up, those bricks in the wall, because we can't deal with the pain of whatever situation it is. 
but instead of protecting us, it imprisons us. Thankfulness, gratitude expressed in faith melts, starts to tear down those strongholds. There's an enemy of our souls that wants those strongholds there to imprison us and to block us and hold us down so that we don't experience the life God has for us. God's desire is that we would begin to take First Thessalonians, even over past events, and say, God, I'm not, I can't thank you for that, but I can thank you for being with me in it. I can thank you for getting me past it. I can thank you. Finding a way to really realize God did not abandon you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. When our real deeper issues are between us and God, it gets really hard to go on spiritually. Oh, we keep going to church. We keep doing the things we know we're supposed to do. We're well trained to do that. But the life and the joy and the peace of having a deeper relationship with God dries up. So we have to recognize that, that if there are strongholds, that it's going to take some time. It's easy to pull out a weed. It's about that tall, and you figure the roots are about that deep. This last year, just out of curiosity, back by our air conditioning units, where really nobody else can see it, I just decided to let one of those prickly weeds grow. You know, those little ones start to, I set letting it grow, and it got up to about knee high. I thought, that's pretty cool. This thing grew to be like about eight inches, I mean, eight feet tall. I just kept kind of like, hey, this is really cool. And it was pretty dry last summer, a pretty amazing thing. We let those weeds go in our lives long enough, those roots go pretty deep, but God has the ultimate weed killer. It's the power of his Holy Spirit and turning us into an attitude of gratitude which will uproot those bitter roots in us. One word here today on forgiveness because it ties directly into this. One of the best quotes I've heard about forgiveness and unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and thinking someone else is going to die. It's really what it is. We're going to hold that against them and we're never going to let go of it and we're holding on to pain. And we're living as long as we hold unforgiveness against somebody over a painful event. We're holding on to the pain. Do we realize that? And Jesus would say, forgive. Let me be the judge. Let me sort that out. And I just say this in this context, no one's getting away with anything. If you feel like you need to be the judge over something or some things that have happened or are happening to you, no one's getting away with anything. God sees it all. The only way to get that root out of us, to allow that program to reboot, is to let go and release forgiveness by faith. Nobody that's hurt you deserves forgiveness, and neither do you. But that's God's way. Because he has forgiven us, then we are under that same opportunity, have the opportunity to release forgiveness to others. Forgiveness, or the unforgiveness, will keep us from being grateful. It'll keep us from the full life that God has for us. We've got to recognize those roots that are there and cut them off and take them out. Now, when we realize there's been a stronghold, I said it's going to take time. That's, if there's a real, really deep web of different thought processes and emotional responses that we have been imprisoned by, it will take some time, and you likely need a partner to help you with that. Someone that understands what's going on, that can be a prayer partner for you, a spiritual counselor, a spiritual director. If you realize you're that stuck, I encourage you to get some help to get you back up out of that place. 
Jesus came to set captive people free. And sometimes it's the, our own stuff that's captivating us. And we need a partner. We always need partners for the journey, clearly, as we've just gone through a, a great series on that great adventure and seeking partners, but particularly when we're really stuck and we realize it. We might have been stuck for 30 years over one thing. Sad story, I'll tell, but it's a true account. One of the most godly women I've known as a Christ follower uh, was a woman when I first met her, was probably in her mid-70s or so. Got to know her, was involved in ministry, just a wonderful woman of God. But about Ten years after I met her, she was in her mid-80s by that point. She came to me to counsel with me. I'd done a teaching on something she had to talk about. An event that happened between her mother and her 75 years before. Okay? 75 years before, when she was 10 years old, that she was still stuck in. And she just couldn't let go of it. And her mother had been dead for decades. I mean, many decades. And it was still holding her life down. We were able to talk that through and through a process of being able to just forgive and let go and then begin to see, begin to become thankful for the many things your mother and or father or that person who you're holding something against actually did for it. And by God's grace, she was able to get past that. It's never too late to get these things right and again get to the place of experience and the kind of life that God has for us. The few things that I think are causes of ungratefulness that turn off that thankfulness and that sense of happy joy, four key things, a crisis that happens, a painful life event, an unexplainable experience with no apparent redeeming value. That one I want to process a little bit. You had a crisis in your life. Probably look around a room like this. There's probably been many things that we perceive as crises that seemed to have no redeeming value at the time. Secondly, an injustice, an unfair situation. And that, that can be judged very subjectively, what seems unfair. A gross injustice that occurs that just vexes your soul. These can sap our ability to give thanks. A breakup, a broken relationship that really breaks our hearts. When someone has violated us, when someone has broken our trust, when someone is, that we've loved and cared for and cared about has just brutally injured or hurt us or a sickness, a loss of our health, or a loss of a loved one. These are key causes that make us stop exercising this practice of thankfulness. If these things have hit your life, or any one of them, be on guard. Recognize, how have you responded? How are you responding now? What's the residual posture that you're in right now? Have you gotten back to your bearings after the, the flow of this situation came over you and it really overtook you? Have you gotten back to your spiritual and equilibrium and said, God, I don't know what happened, but I know you love me. I know you said you'll never leave me. I know you have some kind of purpose. I know that you are good, and I'm going to thank you anyway. That begins that process of allowing thankfulness to well up inside of us. Now, to be able to make this more practical, and I'm just moving through... Um, I love this quote. The person with a discontented heart has the attitude that everything he does for God is too much and everything God does for him is too little. But that's... When we become ungrateful over a long period of time and thankfulness has enough chance, we can become hard-hearted. Now, the scriptures talk about becoming hard-hearted. 
and or calloused in our hearts. And the sad thing that we don't realize is, is when our hearts become hard or hardened, we lose the experience and opportunity of feeling good. It's, we're trying to take it in our life circumstance and say, these things made me feel this way. Or this circumstance left me feeling this way. But the reality is it's our chosen responses to those circumstances that leaves our heart in whatever condition that we, it is. If we have allowed an accumulation of these kind of things to, to grow inside of us, um, we get bitter, we get negative, we get sarcastic. We resist encouragement. We resist consolation when we become hard-hearted. And then we start to even think that only bad things are going to happen to us. The world becomes very dark. We start to expect bad instead of expecting good. We start to not see God anywhere and think that he's actually being very unfair, that he's broken his promises. And we find ourselves, whether we realize it or not, resisting that inner impulse of the Holy Spirit who would lead us in a different way and saying no to him and effectively yielding to the devil. We don't think of it that way. But in our attitudes and in our mindset, the Holy Spirit wants to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace, kindness, godliness, gentleness, and ultimately self-control. When we become that hard in our hearts, we need some medicine. And we need to take it over a period of time. Much the same way as a doctor's, and of course that's changed. When I was a kid... <laughs> Take antibiotics for 10 days. Take them all. Now it's down to four days. There's these other drugs, and I take them for different cycles. But don't stop when the symptoms go away. A lot of times I think we start with spiritual practices, or we start doing something we hear in a teaching or a sermon. And, go, that sounds and then we start feeling a little bit better. But then we stop taking the medicine that was helping us get better. I believe one of the ways that we can ahead to this is to cure, is to develop a gratitude plan. And this is what I meant earlier, but recognizing some of the places that we've gotten stuck but also then develop a gratitude plan is to start making a list of things. And I encourage you to do this today sometime. I gave you the handout there as a, as a primer for that, um, is to make a list of 10 or 20 things that you're thankful for. And then set times during the day that you're going to express that gratitude to God is to with intentionality. It could be over your meals. We pray over meals. It's a great opportunity as we're giving thanks for the food is to expand that into this gratitude expression and make it happen. I don't like to think in terms of forcing things, but when there's been patterns and life in life that are keeping us stuck in one way, we have to be very intentional and overt about reversing that. And then we can select a theme every day to be thankful for. Thankful for our families. Thankful for a roof overhead. Thank you for the provision. Thank you for the long life. Thank you for select a theme for each day of the week and make that part of your routine so that all day you're going to have that and remind yourself of it to be gratitude, showing gratitude. And ultimately to write a gratitude journal is to start writing down more and more and more things that you are thankful for from your past, from your present life, and things that you're looking for. And I'm saying maybe a hundred things wouldn't be too few to start with in your gratitude journal. I know that sounds like homework. I said I, you can only homework if you want to, but I hope in everything we've talked about here today, we realize the power and the benefit of relearning some things about how we approach life. And it will take some effort. It will take some time. But the fruit of this kind of approach is going to ultimately yield tremendous results.
your life can get better than it's ever been still. Your life can get to the place where God really intended it to be all along, starting today. Now, many of you are experts at this. Many of you are experts at already doing this. And maybe you have things to share in that regard. But if we're not doing this, it, it's something that we have to intentionally schedule to do. I think, and I used to write in spiral notebooks, like those ones that you, you know, the lined note pages, and then we've got cabinets full of all that kind of stuff uh, around the house. I like to write. Now I do it all on a computer. But put things where you'll be reminded. If you're going to change a longstanding pattern or a habit, you need to remind yourself. And I also would encourage you to select a partner, if you want, who will help you. Is when someone starts, if you start getting negative, they'll point, hey, you know what? What's something we can be thankful for? Is to have someone help you with the process. Because that sometimes is what's necessary to help us break longstanding patterns. If we, and we can list a few different things here. Let's just start with this one. I'm going to wrap up. I know it's 1115. I, I put a bunch on my spreadsheet here. Are you thankful that you're saved? Yeah. I thank God every day. I think of where my life was. I think of where my life is. And in the whole summation, I cons- and I know we're all equal in this, I consider myself the most blessed human being that's ever lived. I'm not special. I'm just blessed. And so are you. You're the most blessed people that's ever lived also. And it's very funny because I've always had that mindset, and I th- say that to God virtually every day. When I pray at night in particular, I say, God, you've been so, so good to me. You saved my life. You started me over. You gave me a whole different way. And I say, God, I feel like I'm the most blessed person And in the last week, I've met two people that spontaneously have said the same exact thing. I feel like I'm the most blessed person. I said, well, you know what? It's a tie then. But just beginning with the free gift of eternal life, that's a constant source of praise and thanksgiving, isn't it? If we remember that. And here's the way I frame this for us as we wrap up today. Everything that's happened to you in this life in God's plan for you has ultimately been a bigger part of a process preparing you for eternal life. You and I are destined for glory, period. That's God's plan. Isaiah tells us when we get there, we won't even remember this life. Do you realize that? Remember people because our life with them will go on. We'll remember relationships But the scriptures say the former things won't even come to mind. All the things that we're so wrapped up in and bound up in and focused on here, what I like to share in a perspective, it'll be like a dream when we get to eternity, a dream that we had when we were four years old one night, maybe. You long since forget it. All of your life, whether you live 120 years or whatever length God gives to you, will have been just this fleeting thing, having prepared you for glory and an eternity with God. It is worth it. God knows what he's doing. This day matters. Every day God gives you is in his book. There's a purpose for it. And as we collectively can begin to recognize that, we will well up our worship, our thanksgiving will go far beyond something on the surface and something welling up from deep within us. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to be in this great group of friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I thank you for their faith. I thank you for the shared experience of you that we have. I thank you for the continual love and kindness that we share in the body of Christ in this great place. 
Lord, thank you for the plans that you have for us, plans to prosper us, not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. Lord, I pray that as we consider your words and the encouragement from those words, that each of us today will begin a new journey, a deeper walk of thankfulness and gratitude to you, that there will be a symphony of praise and thanksgiving coming to your throne from us today and every single day, Lord, till we meet you face to face. These things we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.